Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Get your Bibles open to the book of Joshua, chapter number 14. We'll be looking at a passage of Scripture there in just a few moments. Joshua, chapter 14, we'll be starting with verse number 6. And, uh, and I just while, while you're looking that up, Joshua 14, 6, man, we had a great time with our, at our men's breakfast yesterday. Uh, the whole gang of us, kind of a gang, we, we were together uh, in, enjoying good food. I, I just want to rem- remind you guys of the six points that we shared, okay? This is your follow-up. First of all, know that you're commissioned, remain focused, be determined, maintain integrity, engage self-control, and pursue character development. Now, I know you've got all of that, and men, you already have that memorized, but go ahead and get, keep that in your heart, all right? Well, today, the title of my message is My Church, Your Church, Our Church. The year was 1743, and that was the year that my sixth great-grandfather, William, Wo- William Woody, and his wife, Sarah Purcell, Lady Sarah Purcell, they had immigrated to Virginia from Kent, England, and then they settled down in North Carolina. These were God-fearing peace-loving Quakers, and they, they longed to come to this new world so that they could practice their faith uh, and, and not have the opposition and the pressure that was happening over England against the Quakers and against this, this, uh, this way of, of worshiping God and loving God. They had a son, and his name was Tarleton, Tarleton Woody. Tarleton Woody is my fifth great-grandfather. He ended up being a devout patriot being born here in the colonies. And the year of the signing, right after the signing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, my fifth great-grandfather, Tarleton Woody, he pledged his loyalty to North Carolina, and, and, and then he began to fight for this new country in the American Revolution. Uh, and afterwards, after he had fought, I don't know a lot about what happened during that time, but I know that after he had fought in the American Revolution, he was awarded 200 acres of beautiful land up in, uh, in, in Ash County, North Carolina. I've been there before, and it's such a beautiful, beautiful place. And that was his payment for serving in the American Revolution. Uh, and, I, and I love the fact that this man, he, he held on to his faith. A lot of Quakers at that time had fled the, fled the, the colonies, the, the newly formed United States. They had fled and they had gone up to Canada because they didn't want to have anything to do with, with, uh, with fighting for, for independence. But, but my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather said, no, I'm, I'm going to stay and I want to fight for this country. And he lived until uh, the age of 75 and, uh, and is buried in a little cemetery up in, the, up in the, the mountains called Burnt School Cemetery. I'm sure a school burned there, and that's why they, that's why they, they named it that. But, I, you know, I've, after visiting out there and seeing the land that, that my forefathers saw and lived and farmed, I, 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 I want to kind of know what it felt like during that time. 
And I've wondered what it would be like during those days fighting against the British in North Carolina. So I recently picked up a book. It's called In the Hurricane's Eye, and it's written by Nathaniel Philbrick. The subtitle of the book is The Genius of George Washington and the Victory of Yorktown. Now, we all know, I know definitely how the story ends in 1783. We all know America won its independence and, and all of that. But, but I wanted to feel and kind of experience the struggles that our soldiers, including my fifth great grandfather, went through uh, as they, they fought for this wonderful land. And I, I love the book because it, it brings to life, it, it can actually makes you feel the challenges that were associated with the American Revolution. There was poor communication, slow communication, there were egos, there were disagreements, there was financial strain, family stress, horrible living conditions for the soldiers and the sailors who were a part of the American Revolution. And then there was Benedict Arnold and all the mess that he caused. And, and, and this book, what it's really done for me, and I'm still reading it, but it's, it's helped me to even feel the vulnerability and the emotions and the strain that was on George Washington, uh, that was on the, the sailors, that was upon the soldiers, and even the citizens that were here uh, in the colonies at that time and in the new United States of America. See, the Revolutionary War was a very, very intense period of time when we fought for our independence. And uh, as I've read through the book, I, I imagine what my fifth great-grandfather, Tarleton, was, was experiencing as he was fighting and what may have been going through his mind, what he probably possibly even felt in his body at that time. And one thing is for certain, the guys who fought in the American Revolution, although we consider them to be heroes today, uh, it, it was not that way back then. And this book really brought that out. See, in the book, Phil Brooks says this. He says a total of about 200,000 Americans had served in the war. But it did not mean that the rest of the country of about 3 million would show them any respect or gratitude. Americans in 1783 were desperate to put the trauma of the revolution behind them and these broken and penniless soldiers were a daily reminder of what the rest of America preferred to forget. And my family was part of that. Uh, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm proud of that. But I also know that, that what, what George Washington and the other leaders and the soldiers and the sailors walked into was, was horrible. I mean, immediately prior to the end of the war, I mean, things looked absolutely terrible for the patriots. Um, and, and the truth is, quite often, things look bleak just before victory comes on the horizon. And that's for your family, that's for your life, that's even for your business, that's for our church. But, it, but in 1781, um, just about 18 months prior to this, victory was not even remotely in sight. Uh, the war wasn't going well at all. In fact, at this point, George Washington was even being negatively pressured by his own family. And, and when I began to read that, I thought, oh my goodness, how intense was it? See, his stepson, by the, whose name was Jackie, uh, Jackie Custis, he was a state legislator in the, uh, in the state of Virginia, but he boycotted his, his, uh, his role in going to the Virginia state legislature because he didn't like the war. And Philbrook actually calls uh, Washington's stepson, he calls him the pampered, hot, hot-headed 
stepson. He had to deal with that. And he also had to deal with the issues of his wife, Martha, because she thought the world of her son, Jackie. And George had to tiptoe around all of this just to keep harmony in his marriage. And then there was Mary Washington, who is George Washington's mother. She was totally unimpressed with anything George Washington was doing, with anything that was was happening with the accomplishments of establishing this nation. And and during this time, she announced to the world, I mean, she made it public because people knew who she was. I mean, she was the mom of George Washington, the big general. And and she announced to the world that she needed financial help and, and that she was being neglected by her sons. And this absolutely humiliated George Washington. He had to go publicly and say, it's not true. She's making this up. She's wanting attention because she don't like the war. And so he was dealing with that, leading the people. And then there was his cousin, Lund Washington. <laughs> I, I didn't know this part, but, but he was in charge of George Washington's home at Mount Vernon. And he actually harbored the British and gave them supplies and food and drink while George Washington was out fighting the British. And this absolutely outraged Washington. I mean, what a crazy time it was. And there are a lot of parallels that I'm even seeing between the American Revolution and what happens in our own lives, what happens in our own spiritual battles and the spiritual warfare that we face and and, and how, how a church even moves forward. But we do know that the United States of America was victorious quite miraculously. A few months after the war was over with, George Washington penned these these words, and he says, I am sure that there never was a people who had more reason to acknowledge a divine interposition in their affairs than those of the United States, speaking of the war. But the truth is, there was another time of divine interposition. And that was when the children of Israel were coming into their promised land. Uh, they, had, they were miraculously uh, delivered from Egyptian slavery. Many of you know the story. You've seen the movies. They wandered in the desert for 40 years and, and God generously provided for them day after day after day after day. But then But what's interesting, only two of the original adults who came out of of Egypt actually made it into the promised land, and that's Joshua and Caleb. That's a lot of things, that's, that's something that a lot of people forget about. You see, Joshua and Caleb, they were two of the 12 spies who initially went into the promised land about 40 years prior to, uh, prior to them actually going in and taking it. And they were supposed to go in and bring back a report regarding the condition of the land and to, to offer some strategies for taking the land, the promised land that God had given them. And upon return of the, the 12 spies, as they came to Moses and brought their report to Moses. Truth is, they were shaking with fear. (laughs) And they told Moses that Israel could not take the promised land. I want to read to you uh, just a little snippet from Numbers 1330. As this was going on, it says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it. For we will certainly prevail over it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people because they are too strong for us. I mean, can you imagine the strain of this moment? Uh, Everything 
the children of Israel had hoped for for years since they had escaped Egypt, all of a sudden it's disintegrating right before their eyes. They, they, they're beginning to see this is not even a possibility because of the reports these guys brought back. But then Caleb, he, he stood up strong and he had faith. He had faith to believe they would take that promised land. And, and you see, the other spies, they were afraid of a certain type of person. They were afraid of these giants called the Anakim. The Anakim were these huge giants. We don't know how big they were, but we know they were massive and they were living in the promised land. In fact, the spies, when they came back, the the 10 spies who were negative, they reported that they felt like grasshoppers when they got close to these Anakim. And, uh, and so, so when they came back, these spies came back from their expedition, they came back afraid, and they came back faithless, and they came back trying to convince everyone else in the camp that it's an impossibility. They literally instilled fear of the future, and that's important. They instilled fear of the future and unrest within the camp. And so God said to those 10 faith, uh, faithless spies, along with every other adult except for two, you will not enter the promised land. The reason is, is because everyone was poisoned with doubt. They were poisoned with fear. They were, they were poisoned with all of this. And as a result, God said, well, then you're just going to have to simply die in the desert if you're not willing to move forward. It's an incredible story. You need to read it on your own. It's in Numbers chapter 13 and 14 of what, what happened during that time, a huge shift. But now, that had all happened, and 40 years later, into their nomadic lives uh, in the Arabian desert, it was time. Uh, Moses was dead, and Joshua was the new leader of the forces that were going to go into the promised land to deliver the promised land into their hands. So Joshua and Caleb, these two men, they were fighting with faith along with all of God's other people to take this land. Now, Caleb is the one I want to focus on because Caleb was a mighty man of faith. And I want to emphasize the spirit of Caleb. Now, Joshua chapter 14, where I asked you to turn a moment ago, this gives us a snapshot into his passion, the passion that he and that Joshua had. They had this little dialogue with with some guys called the sons of Judah, not quite sure exactly who they were, but, but this is about five years into the war to take the promised land. Now, take a look at Joshua chapter 14, verse six. It says, then the sons of Judah approached Joshua in Gilgal and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kezanite, and they said to him, here, look at this. You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, on account of you and me in Kadesh Barnea. So that was, that was what happened. That was at the time where they came together when the spies came together 40 some years earlier. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. I like that. As it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me, he's talking about the other 10 spies, made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day saying, the land on which your foot, now so, so, so Moses, this is a picture of what Moses spoke to Caleb at that time 40 years earlier. The land on which your foot has walked shall certainly be an inheritance to you and to your children forever. 
because, and that's the key word, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now behold, the Lord has let me live, (laughs) Caleb says, just as he spoke these 45 years from the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, (laughs) I'm 85 years old today. I don't know if it was his birthday, but he was 85 years old. And listen to this. He says, I am still as strong today as I was on the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and for coming in. This guy's gutsy. Okay, keep looking. He goes, now, then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out just as the Lord has spoken. So Joshua blessed Caleb and gave him Hebron. He gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Now look, therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, this to this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. This is important too. Now the name of Hebron was previously Kirathoth Arba. For Arba was the greatest man of the Anakim, the giants. Then the land was at rest from war. Now, there are lessons in this passage for your daily walk with God, and there are lessons in this passage for us, a body, a church as well. See, Caleb had this attitude, the the same attitude that we have, which is my church, our church, uh, my church, your church, our church. And what he's essentially saying was Israel is my nation. Israel is our nation. (laughs) Israel is your nation. And with that attitude, he began to soar with faith in the midst of huge, crazy obstacles. Now, I want to talk to you a few things about the Caleb spirit, which is something that I encourage you to embrace and to live out. First of all, this, the Caleb spirit knows how to team up. They do. Uh, You see, the Anakim, they were defeated just as he believed they would be some 40, 45 years earlier. And what I like about this, if, if when you read it correctly, what we just read, he changed the name of the city. They changed the name of the city where, where he was going to be living. It was Kirathoth Arba, which was named after the greatest and most incredible man of the Anakim but they changed it to Hebron. (laughs) See, names are significant because the changing of the name simply meant that the Anakim were destroyed. The giants that he said would be destroyed, they were destroyed. But Hebron also means something else. Hebron means let's team up. You like that. It's no longer about one big hero. See, he could have named it Calebville. I mean, he could have. He could, he could have said, well, I, I think I want to name it Fort Caleb, you know, like Fort Worth, because I, he, who wouldn't want to have a name kind of like Fort Worth? But, but he, no, no, he, he didn't. He was fine with naming the city about teaming up. T 
teaming up with God, teaming up with other people to fulfill God's purposes. And I just want to pause here for a second because that's a picture of our local church. I want to thank God that we have a team of elders in our church and, and I want to honor them. There are a few that are out of town. There are some that are ill that are not able to be with us here today. I know that there's, there's one of them who's actually working and some that are back there in the children's ministry. So they're not all in here. But, uh, but I, I'm going to ask every single one of our elders to stand. And I just want to, I want to honor you and I want to recognize you. And I want to say thank you to John and Cynthia Malanga. I want to say thank you to Pam Jarvis, to Ian Woody, to Amber and, and Adam Rogers, to Anthony and Shauna Miller, for Rebecca Woody, for Hunter Pettijohn, for to Joel Lavonda Black and Joy Hodgson. I want to thank you. And that's, it's a pleasure teaming up with you. In fact, church, will you, we, I don't do this very often. These guys are probably going to be mad at me because I made them all stand. But would you do a favor for me while they're still standing and they're still really embarrassed, would you give them a round of applause and thanks for their service in the ministry? I love these guys. I love teaming up with them for God's purposes in and through this local church. And I want to tell you something. These people have this Caleb spirit, which I want us all to have. You see, a Caleb spirit, secondly, has very strong convictions. Man, I tell you what, Caleb, he was he was a man of conviction. See, convictions are, are like the, the engine room of your heart. Conviction will help you to know how to focus and where to, where to put your energies. See, when, when Caleb came back to Moses, he was explicitly clear and he was being driven by his convictions of faith. He said, we should go up. We will certainly prevail. He gave faith in the midst of a bleak report from everyone else. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30. Take a look at it one more time. It's on the screen. It says, then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. I don't know how he did that, but all these other spies are, it's going to be bad. It's all falling apart. The world's going to end. I don't know. I don't know. You were grasshoppers. He's like, I think he said, shut up. I think he did. He quieted them. So I'm just going to say that because I, I don't know the exact Hebrew translation, but he said, shut up. Stop, be quiet. And they did. And he said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will certainly prevail over it. See, even when the majority voted against it, and just, just for your information, every time they vote in the Bible, it always has ended up bad. It, 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 every single time in the Bible. But even when the majority essentially voted against him, they voted against Joshua, he stood his ground. He stood his ground based upon his, his conviction for 40 years. And eventually, he got to stand on his own ground in his own city, not Calebville, but Hebron. His strong convictions got him there. I want to tell you, strong, faith-filled conviction is going to make a difference in your life. It will propel you forward, even if you're surrounded by naysayers, negativity, no matter what. And I just want to say, may all of us have the Caleb spirit of strong conviction. May our church have the Caleb spirit of strong conviction. Also, another thing the Caleb spirit does is it inspires others. It inspired, you know, Caleb didn't grumble. He didn't complain. I mean, this old dude, and he was old, he, he was an inspiration to so many other people at the age of 85. 
And I like it because he wasn't acting entitled. What he did is he simply inspired other people around him with this positive attitude. And you should do the same thing in your life. And we should do the same thing here at City Life Church. I want to just share with you something that, that we kind of have operating behind the scenes here. But we, we have the, uh, the, we call them our cultural aspects around our church that is meant to inspire other people to step up and to move forward with God. I want to just show you. Here are the five aspects of, of, uh, of the cultural aspects of City Life Church. First is glowing authenticity. I like that. The next one is grace-filled warmth. Magnetic energy, contagious joy, vibrant servanthood. And, and, and I hope that's what you saw in the elders when they stood up just a few moments ago. And I hope this is what you experienced the very first time you walked into City Life Church, because that's how we act around here. And, and who wouldn't want to be around people who are inspiring like that, with, with attitudes like that? And so I, I, I just own that. I own that for myself. And, uh, and it, because this is my church. This is also your church. This is our church. I don't want to keep inspiring others with that Caleb spirit. Here's another one about the Caleb spirit. A Caleb spirit knows this, is that faithfulness is the key to promise. Faithfulness is the key to promise. I like it because Caleb stuck with the program. He was faithful through the ups and the downs. He was faithful through the hardships and the victories. He was faithful in the rotten desert for 40 years. You think it's hot out there? Try go hanging out in the Arabian desert for 40 years. Come on. And what's amazing is he didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve it. But he was faithful. He was fighting and then he, he came back, and, 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 you know, and at that point, an 80-year-old man who began fighting for, uh, for, for, all of, uh, for all of that land, fighting for the promised land up until the time he was 85. I mean, he, he literally said this. He says, you know, I'm 85, but I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. In other words, he wasn't a quitter. He knew faithfulness. He understood the key to the promise is faithfulness. And I, and I want to say this regarding your church, my church, and our church. We are a group of faithful people, and we will not let the promises slip away that God has for us, for our families, for our city, and for our nation. We will stand strong. Also, a Caleb spirit, it rejects mediocrity. You know, it, it just does. He, see, I love the fact that Caleb knew where his strength comes from, and I hope you do too. You see, having that, it will shatter mediocrity in your life. Knowing where your strength comes from is critical. In fact, we even do this. When we get together first thing in the morning, we start praying, saying, God, we've done our best to get ready. But Lord, we know if we don't have your spirit, if we don't have your presence, this is all a game. We don't want to do that. So that, that, that desire to, to shatter mediocrity, it comes from knowing where our strength comes from. And, and I, I just want to keep challenge you to keep following the Lord with every single ounce of your heart like Caleb, walking in the footprints of God and to confront any areas of mediocrity in your own life. You hang around here for a while, you're going to hear me challenging you quite a bit on things like that. See, because mediocrity, it can't really exist when you're passionate. And that passion, it's going to drive you forward. Now, truth be told, I've seen this for years, apathy and mediocrity. I mean, it'll destroy a family. It'll destroy a church. It destroys nations. It destroys cities. I've, and, but that's why I simply refuse to be passionless. 
I, I know, like Caleb, that retreating is not an option. Don't you dare go back to Egypt. Don't you dare go backward. Because if God is for you, who can be against you? If God is for us, who can be against us? And finally, a Caleb spirit embraces the vision. See, what you're a part of is bigger than actually the part that you play. And, and you got to think about that. I mean, of course, that's, that's the way it works with your job, with your occupation. That's the way it works in, in the community. That's the way it works in your family. And that's the way it works in the church. For example, in my church, your church, our church, we all have various roles to fill. And when we embrace the vision, we know that all of our efforts combined, even though it might seem like we're doing something small and insignificant, when it's infused with the Spirit of God, it produces great results just like it did for Caleb, just like it did back in the American Revolution. I want us to take a look at our vision statement. And I have this. I, we, we placed this on the seats this morning before you came in. I want you to grab one. This is for yours to take and keep. But uh, this is a statement called The Church I Dream. And this is something that I read constantly. I keep it in front of me constantly, and I want you to keep it in front of you. You can take this home and put this on, a, uh, on, on your refrigerator or put it in a place where you're on your computer where you can see it and look at it. And, and as I'm reading through this, I want you to think and ask yourself, where do I see myself in this statement? Listen to this. The church I dream is a vibrant instrument of Jesus in culture. The church I dream is one whose heart beats to create future and bring hope to those who have none. A church for those who are suffering silently, starving for significance, and malnourished in love. It's a church where people move from death to life, where powerful ministry and discipleship occurs naturally. Pause there for just a second. Earlier, before we went online, during our worship time, we were praying for for DJ, uh, we were praying for him, for David, to, to, for God to send healing to him. What a lot of people don't know, this man who's one of our church elders, he's been an elder for a couple years now, he was once homeless, living in a shelter, all oh, about three quarters of a mile from here. And he began walking to church every morning, was always on time. He hung out here, got to know folks. So like, well, you can start serving. So we let him begin serving. He moved from that homeless situation to just kind of grabbing a place wherever he could to, to find a place to rest his head. You see, he had lost his family. He had lost his job. He had lost everything. During that time, he was able to get employment and begin to slowly get his feet back on the ground. He was able to break free of addictions in his life. He was able to see his family come back together. And just continue to serve, continue to love God. And this story really has happened many, many times to this local church. And then his family was restored. And he began attending seminary, studying the word of God. The word of God that broke so many strongholds in his own life. Became a church elder and just a few weeks ago was able to purchase his own home, his own house. 
That's one of the many, many stories of victory that very few people really know the truth about, but that's what we're about. That's what I just read. That's what you're about. Can you imagine if David, when the first time he came in here, someone looked at him and said, well, you're not good enough for us. Oh, so you live at the shelter? Well, I don't think, I don't think that's going to work. But see, nobody did that. We loved him right where he was. And I watched how God transformed his life. We're going to continue to pray for his healing as he's in the hospital as well. Keep reading. The church I dream is winsomely outward-oriented. It's a church that has a deep love for the city in which it's planted, allowing for a powerful flow of Holy Spirit activity through its people. So our city will be different in the years to come. Thank God that's happening. The church I dream is intentional, present, and active in the culture where the influence of Jesus is felt on every cultural street. That's some terminology that we've adopted, including government, business, family, arts and entertainment, healthcare and vitality, education, and the church. The church I dream is called to the world, bringing the hope of Jesus to the ends of the earth, planting churches with the same spiritual DNA. The church I dream is hungry to worship God, birthing music and creating dynamic worship atmospheres. See, where are you in this? The church I dream is hungry for the word of God, raising up ministers of the gospel and creating gatherings where God's word is declared with power and relevance. The church I dream is committed to the younger generation by raising up world changers, educating, empowering, and releasing them into their destinies. The church I dream is overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit, with glowing authenticity, grace-filled warmth, magnetic energy, contagious joy, and vibrant servanthood. We just talked about that a minute ago. The church I dream is Bible-based and Jesus-focused, always majoring on what is most important to the heart of Father God, one of grace and faith overflowing with life and love. Those words resonate in my heart. It's just today's, about once a year, I like to remind us of this. It's just today's reminder. That's what we're all about. Sometimes I think it's amazing that, that occasionally we're just, I think every one of us can be guilty of this from time to time, of not being astonished at what God really is doing among us. It's kind of like, like when you're flying on an airplane and for some reason you don't get your peanuts and you're upset you didn't get your peanuts and you're just going to be, you're going to let that flight attendant know, land the plane, I want my peanuts. You know, When you're forgetting to look, you're soaring over God's creation and out that window is some of the most majestic sights you will ever see. It is absolutely astonishing. That's why I'm saying today, let's kind of look outside the window for just a second. This is your church. This is my church. This is our church, City Life Church. And, and it's not about how your coffee tastes. It's not about the temperature in the room. I want to say, yeah, I mean, our volunteers, we do the very best around here to make all of this work well. But being around here, it's more about being astonished at what God is actually doing through you, through me, and through us as a whole to impact culture. God is, and I declare this, this is truth, God is actually using us to alter the destiny, destiny of this city, Fort Worth. 
I don't want to thank God that God is actually using you and me to bring people with us into heaven and to rescue them from the clutches of Satan himself. It's a stink about it. It's astonishing that God has given us, the church, the power to drive out demons, to set people free, to heal the sick, and to bring the life, the love, and the power of Jesus to the darkest of places and to the seemingly most undeserving people. That's what God has done and continues to do. That's my church. That's our church. That's, that's your church. So I just want to remind you of this. This is an action call right here. If you're not involved, you need to attend our impact team night because that is part of joining forces with others who are doing things for God. This fellowship, onboarding, informing, fun. And I want us to, I really want us to get involved with making this, us all get involved with making this vision happen as we begin to move into the fall. I promise you it will start feeling like fall in a few weeks. It, it always does. And I want us to be a people of the Caleb spirit. At the beginning of this year, I gave you a theme scripture. And right now I'm in the process of, of searching my heart and trying to hear from God and fast, pray, do what I need to do to hear from God regarding next year. But this year, our theme scripture is this. I want you to look at it. It says, be dressed ready be dressed right. In fact, our word for the year is the word ready. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. That is the Caleb spirit. That is the spirit of this church. That is my church, your church, our church. And we're doing great things on a mission for God. And, and if you do not even have a, 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 maybe a family scripture or something that, that, that drives you forward as a family or even for your business, I encourage you to listen to God and to get that because God has a mission for you. God has direction for you. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life. That's why every year at the beginning of the year, we talk about choosing your one word for the year. And that's something you should hold on to and believe that God is giving you revelation for the days ahead. That way you can maintain that Caleb spirit even when you feel down, even when you don't feel like getting out of bed, even when you just feel like I, the, the rug has been pulled out from under me. Because I tell you what, God wants to use you. God is using you, and God will continue to use you. And you can imagine what happens when God's people all get together and we do it together. And that's what this church is about. I want to pray right now, and I want to ask for God's blessing on each and every person in this room. And I want you guys to stand all across this room. I want you to receive this prayer. Just open your heart and receive this prayer. God, I pray over every single man and woman. I pray over the children back there in the children's wing. I pray over each and every individual, Lord. I pray that, Lord, that we will be this vibrant instrument of Jesus in our culture, that we will all be dressed ready for service, that our lamps will be burning, that the fire of God, the life of God will infuse us and surge through us, God, to do great exploits for you. And I thank you, God, that you have not neglected one family. You have not turned your back on any family, any person, God, that you are with us, that you are with them, and that, and that God, God, that you are going to take us to a new place, God. You're going to take each family to a new place. You're going to take each individual to a new place. Help us not 
not in any way, God, to be short-sighted in our lives, complaining about the peanuts when there's a, something vast and majestic and powerful that God has actually done and is doing around us, God. Let our eyes be open to it. Lord, give us clarity of mind, just like Caleb had, because, Lord, we live in this, this, this culture that is extremely distracting, extremely pessimistic and negative, and, and God, we have to pull ourselves and rise above all of that to function as believers. But God, just like Caleb did, we choose to do so also. Let us do it day in and day out. When we get up in the morning and when we go to bed, let our hearts surge with the songs of the Lord. Let us minds and our lips be filled with the word of God. And let us continually be dressed, ready for service, keeping the fire of God burning in our hearts and burning in our lives. And I pray this blessing over each and every individual in this church in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you receive that, will you say amen? Say amen. Amen. So be it as in heaven, so on earth. Well, I'm going to dismiss you today, and, uh, and I, I hope to be able to, to, to greet many of you in the foyer here in just a moment, but here's your dismissal. God bless you and keep you. God, smile on you and gift you. God, look you full in the face and make you prosper. Now, go make Jesus known. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Church podcast. I would love for you to attend one of our worship services right here in downtown Fort Worth. So if you'd like more information, simply go to citylifefw.org. God bless.